Alex. <laughs> All right, Redeemer Anglican Church. This is Father Alex. I'm sitting with Father Colby and Father Gary, and uh, we're going to take the next few weeks to discuss our sermon series over kind of our vision for our church called uh, something like Everyday Monks, uh, how we can live into a monastic life and monastic rhythm um, together for the glory of God as we seek Him uh, with one mind. So, um, uh, Gary preached this last week, uh, had a good sermon, just kind of setting us up for the next uh, three weeks, um, and we're going to cover tradition this week, and then hospitality with Father Gol- Colby, and then um, I will cover uh, formation. But this fir- the first question I have uh, for us is just, where did this idea come from? Um, this seems foreign to us, so just kind of give us the genesis. Yeah, the idea came to me last Advent. So we were looking at um, what could be potential themes for um, our church in Advent, and we looked. I saw the structure of a monastery, and was compelled by the empty space in the middle. And the the role of it isn't just a, a useful thing, but it is actually um, something that represents the need to to um, create open spaces in our life for God to meet us there. Sometimes there are fountains in this middle space representative, uh, representative of God meeting us there, refreshing our souls that we need this empty space. But I'm always really moved by images in general, and so the image of the monastery seems to embrace all of our values uh, as Redeemer of uh, tradition, formation, hospitality, and all things beauty. So, um, yeah, I thought, man, it would be a really great theme to think about how the monastics' rhythms might um, influence us as everyday Christians in our context today, and also um, realizing that our roots as the Anglican Church are very much influenced by monastic culture. Can you talk a little bit about more, uh, more about that m- monastic influence in the Anglican Church? It seems like... Um, right, we're we're Protestants, we're Anglicans, we're not Catholics. We don't have monasteries. So, how how does this found in the Anglican tradition? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's unique in that uh, I think early the early British islands were evangelized by monastics, by monasteries, and so whereas on the continent the the church were, was creating monasteries. Um, and people were sort of living this monastic life apart from uh, everyday world in some cases. In our case, these monasteries were placed that were evangelizing the islands. And so when, uh, even by the time of the Reformation, when it came along, when Thomas Cranmer was uh, compiling the Book of Common Prayer, um, it was so inspired by the Benedictine rule. Um, And so you have hours of prayer that were taken from, uh, you know, seven hours or to like three, depending, or two, depending on how you look at it. And so he wanted to make sure that the um, everyday congregants were um, living the rhythms, but able to incorporate it into everyday life since they weren't like vocational monks. And so in a sense, we became everyday monks as the church in a unique way as um, Anglicans are descendants of that English church. I think uh, 
one thing that I'm thinking about is somebody who is hearing monks, monastic, monastery, growing up uh, maybe like in the evangelical church. This isn't like part of our vocabulary necessarily. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, I'm thinking of the people listening that are like asking the question like, well, why a monk? Like what's so special about the history, the origins of monasticism or monks? Um, what uh, is like peculiar about being a monk that makes it like worthy of emulation so much so that we can even kind of have this as like a dominant image for describing the kind of formation that we want at Redeemer. Um, so yeah. yeah, can you talk about that? Yeah, I think that monks originally, I mean, the, even the, the root of the word refers to um, isolation in some ways. I think that um, in those early days, it was very much about, uh, I'm going to give my whole self to God, and that requires me to go off and to be a hermit. But, um, uh, you know, as, as time went on, it became more about a group of people that were single-minded, and it recognizes the uh, role of living in community to develop um, a, a righteousness or holiness of life. And so it became more about a single-minded focus. And I think it's Greg Peters, an Anglican um, scholar specifically in the area of monasticism, I think defines it as to be single-minded toward God. And so how can we live in a community with these values that bring us together with a single purpose to um, live in the context of community um, with a purpose being pursuing uh, knowing and loving God more? So you know, the kind of the direction that this took as it came into the British Isles was there were desert monks. Um, St. Basil went down from Asia Minor into the desert, um, saw the values that they were living by, the commitment to life together, this ascetic lifestyle, which was marked by fasting, sometimes in extreme cases, giving of alms, um, praying the Psalms, um, in extending hospitality, uh, these sort of things. And he was compelled to bring them back to the Eastern Church and say, how can these influence our church? So he was contextualizing that. And what it looked like was it looked like monks, uh, nuns, who were living life among the people, um, yet observing these, these vows to um, uh, monastic life, the order of life, the rhythm. And so it looked a particular way. Well, that birth, the Siladat, which was this complex, which some people think that it was the first hospital, the first Xenodakia, which is a house of hospitality for uh, friendless travelers, a place for them to stay, uh, soup kitchen, stuff like that. And so it took on a very hospitable um, character. And then that came over to... The British Isles influenced some of those, what we might think of as Celtic monastics over on Iona and then, of course, Aden and Lindisfarne and stuff like that. So it, ha it has this very unique character that is adapted for everyday life. For Protestants, uh, I think I was trained to think of monks as escapists, right? So if I even think about the way that 
monasteries are used in contemporary culture. If I think about like Rod Dreher's Benedict Option, it's kind of like culture's declining. The West is being ruined, and so we need to retreat from culture. We need to escape. Um, and kind of my the way that I understood monks was like, you know, they're trying to escape culture, but what they have is sin that they take with them into the monastery. And so mm-hmm. there's no use to be a monk. There's no use for a monastery. Um, so maybe those, those may be two objections, right? One, escapism, like you're just a, a culture warrior who just wants to, who's worried about culture. And the other one being, um, so the escapism, and then the other one being, well, what do you, what's good about being separate or distinct? Like, isn't it, aren't you finding the same problems existing in a monastery than you mm-hmm. would somewhere else in the culture? Yeah. That was that was a really common kind of critique that I, I heard in Bible college of, like, early monasticism. Um, and what I found out, particularly through Greg Peters, who goes into a lot of the primary sources, these, these are the people that are, like, coining the terms we're using. And there were all kinds of technical terms for the type of monk that's in a, the desert by himself, the type of monk or nun that's in a cloister together in a community. Um, and uh, one thing that uh, is so clear is already in the early uh, monastic tradition, there's critiques of monks who are just trying to escape the world. So then I was like, oh, well, we can't critique monasticism as a whole uh, on the same terms that they are critiquing people in their time. So obviously, they're imagining the monastic life as something other than escape. Um, Not that there isn't a a place for withdrawal. Um, And I I think that what Father Gary is talking about, that there is a, a great historic link to that. But this... Uh, this draw into the desert was uh, was really like its origins is conformity to Christ, imitation of Christ. Um, many of the early monks they see in Luke chapter four, Matthew chapter four, immediately after Jesus is baptized, he goes into the wilderness and he is tempted and he uh, achieves victory over the diabolic. And this is what many of the early monastics believed that they were doing. They literally, they literally imitated Jesus, and they went out into the desert, the wilderness, to uproot passion and cultivate uh, virtue. And what's interesting, uh, back to your question about like you know escapism, is the uh, monastics in the desert. They're what you see repeatedly again and again is that the practice of hospitality, the practice of charity, namely welcoming strangers, trumps uh, devotion to prayer. In fact, if a monk is fasting and they have a weary, hungry traveler who comes and finds them in the desert, the monk is to break his fast uh, and prepare a meal. And this often led to some uh, uh, some folks saying, "All oh, those monks actually don't fast as much as we think they do." But it's only because they were valuing hospitality with such a great degree that they would uh, they're willing to uh, essentially be viewed as uh, 
people who are not really strict ascetics for the sake of hospitality. Um, and so that's like a part of the history as well. Yeah, so man, if, <clears throat> if we're not, we, our church is in city center, right? We're in the, the cool part of town, the hip part of town. <laughs> so we're not saying we're moving to the mount, like the rural mountains, though sometimes I wish, you know, we could space, land, yeah. it's cheaper. So we're, we're in the city, so we're not escaping. So what, what are you asking us to do in the city? What, what vision is different? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's some of it's this, the same contextualization that Basil did um, that, that very much influenced the culture of monasticism in the British Isles, where we're descended from um, as, a, as Anglicans. Um, it, was, it was to be a presence of blessing. And so they, sent, they, they were sent out of it to, to bless. And that's, you know, um, we bless animals, we bless land, we bless homes, we bless. And so to be a presence that blesses um, our neighbors, um, but also recognizing that the walls are, are, provide us a place of retreat, a place of rhythms that even Jesus demonstrated in his own ministry, um, a place of uh, um, contemplation and a place of self-examination. And, and self-examination is at the heart of humility, how we engage in our community, in the walls and outside the walls. And so, but wall, the walls are key here because the way that walls are thought of primarily is a complex that keeps you safe from outsiders. Um, but what they sort of took on spiritually was this encapsulated image of the new creation. And so you actually have somewhere physical to walk out of the world into this new place where the values of reconciliation and life together are modeled in unique ways. Um, but it, it was also then people were sent out. You have the tidal islands where people go onto the island at high tide and they practice it, uh, they practice these rhythms and then they go into the city as a blessing into the neighborhoods um, and then back and so there's a score rhythmic pattern and so it's not necessarily to isolate but it does it does speak to the value of um, rhythms of finding quiet and contemplation but with the imagination of the church as a blessing for the world yeah, that's great. Paul Kings North, North has this line that if you if you're running from culture to start something, you'll never succeed. But if you're running towards Jesus, you have a chance. Right. <laughs> and so I think this monastic rhythm of saying we're we're not escaping anything. We're just we want to run towards Jesus in intentional ways is compelling. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> let's say somebody's listening and they are interested in ideas that they were they're compelled by these ideas that we're talking about, but like on the ground, what are you asking? Are they asking our our members to change anything, to do anything differently, to think about their lives differently? Like what? These are cool ideas, but like on the ground, what's this look like? Or, or what do you? What may you be asking of us? It is a radical vision in so many ways. I think people, a lot of people are compelled by Anglicanism in, in general because it's ancient, but this almost feels like a call even further into something that is um, it, a confronta confrontational towards our rhythms of life today in, in America, so to speak. And 
And so it is a call um, into something deeper um, for our church. And, and first of all, as a praying people, I am, we are working hard to get people on rhythms and um, a rule or, of life that in, involves uh, hours of prayer in their day to be able to pray together. We have several prayer meetings throughout the week. I think the, the gauge of health for our church is largely gonna be how many people are praying and recognizing our, where our strength comes from. And in order to engage the rhythms of this particular way of life, we have to acknowledge that um, prayer is not a waste of time, um, that we're willing to give up being productive in a worldly sense to come and give our time. A lot of people will say, for instance, our, our week's busy, we're just slammed, or um, it's just been a really hard week, so I'm not gonna make prayer. And I'm like, this is, this is why you need prayer. And so how can we re-envision what it means to be a people who keep time, who tell time by the hours of prayer? Um, also, devotion to each other and to our place. So stability is one of the Benedictine rules, um, and, and that acknowledges you know, self-examination or even confession, uh, the heart of life together, because when you go back to your cell, so to speak, in a figurative way, and you do self-examination, ultimately it leads to humility. Um, and so how do you interact with each other from a place of humility? Um, and then, of course, that impacts the way we live in the world we speak often about we hope it's hard for people if they have to leave our church and move away because we're so devoted to each other and then extreme acts of hospitality we're going to be talking about that in the coming weeks um, and then the final thing that I think I'm really concerned with that I want us to embrace is uh, attention to beauty like how are we formed by our surroundings. We often get that when people walk into our sanctuary or also just the way our liturgy, just the attention to beauty. But we want our, even the property that we're on to be a light to our neighbors in a really beautiful way. We wanna contribute um, a beautiful sort of presence in the midst of our neighborhood. So a praying people devoted to each other in our place that, um, embrace extreme acts of hospitality and ha have a particular attention toward beauty. Yeah, it seems like um, we can't play church as usual if we're going to do this, right? Where we, we plan our week and we see how the church fits in, but that the first thing we do as we look at a blank week is, where is the church? And I'm committed to that. And then filling out our schedules from there. I think that that commitment to the local church is what is some of what it means to die to self, to take up our cross, is to mm -hmm. be committed to this group of people. Colby, anything you'd add on practical or the more kind of philosophical? No, the well, the um, I think you you mentioned earlier, just kind of going back to this basic vision of a monk to be single-minded toward God, and this idea, yeah, if we're going to change anything, not running away from culture, but running towards Jesus, and that. This monastic vision, vision, um, its origin is simply like monks. These weren't like ordained people, right? These are like lay people going out that started out in the desert. These are simply people who 
desire to follow follow Jesus in earnest, mm-hmm. like it to such an extent that it almost seems like naive to us. So when Jesus says, "Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor," the monk said, "Okay, mm-hmm. all right. What else?" <laughs> Um, like this is so the the radical like obedience, humility, and, and charity that really is the soil in which the monk sought her and his life to grow in. Um, this is all um, really just the basic like precepts of like discipleship. Mm-hmm. So in other words, like the monastic vision is not. An addendum, it's not a like a, a gratuitous kind of vision onto Christian living, but the monastics were were simply those that the church said, Oh yeah, these people, they really take it seriously. And and in many ways they're attempting to embody an ideal. And of course they're not perfect and and part of their sanctity is they recognize that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in in the article that we've all read recently about the decline of the church that was making its way around various outlets, also kind of speaking into that, it like the findings were that it's not that the church was calling people to too little um, or too much, but the the church was actually asking too little of its people. And that that's what the decline of the church um, was attributed to. And it's like, so it really is a unique way that I think is attractive. I think it is con- it does confront the world and the way that we live our lives today. But I really believe if, if we could live our lives like this, that it's actually refreshing to the world around us. And so, yeah, it's, it's intriguing for me, and I hope it is for our church as well. Yeah, it, it does challenge this consumeristic of, like, uh, what's in it for me. And I think <clears throat> many of us feel disconnected, right? Disconnected from each other, disconnected from church, disconnected from land, disconnected from what we produce, disconnected from what we shop and buy and the people behind it. And I think one of the things that this vision invites us to and, and to is to commit and to belong and to, to be together, um, which is going... And that doesn't happen without sacrifice. Like, you can't just say, well, I'm going to commit to this church, but I'm not going to give anything of myself, Mm -hmm. right? Like, if you really want to belong someplace, you're going to have to sacrifice for it and and care about it and love it, which means, again, more sacrifice and care. Um, So, yeah, it's great. Any any final words, final thoughts? Well, I I was just thinking just on that, I think, one, when you have – a vision like this that's making claims on us, that's making demands. I mean, this is this is Jesus's call to discipleship. I think, especially for us, I, I'm I'm speaking for myself. The question that comes up to my mind is, yeah, well, will I be happy if I go this route? Mm-hmm. Like, will I actually have joy? Will I be, uh, will I be okay? Will I be at rest? Yeah. yeah. Like, will this will this actually fulfill me, mm-hmm. um, or is you know? the market going to do that or this job or this you know fill in the blank um this past weekend at the youth retreat we went over uh in luke's account of the calling of of simon peter the first disciples and he's on a boat and what's interesting we we pointed out there right uh simon has been fishing all night and he doesn't catch anything and he tells him to throw his net in and simon says you know 
look, we fished all night. We didn't catch a single thing, but because you say so, I'll do it. And then their boats are literally sinking for the catch that they're pulling in. And they pull in all the like exorbitant amount of fish. And it's not until then uh, that Jesus, uh, that Luke records uh, after this, uh, that Jesus says, okay, now leave everything and come follow me. And Luke records, and they left the boats and the fish and they fought and it's and we talked about like it's almost like Jesus like knew that Peter uh his question like will I be okay and that Jesus is kind of playing the game like you want fish like that's how you're gonna you're gonna be okay you need more fish here's the fish right like I can I can play that game but this is something deeper and it's like when we trust the the goodness of Jesus uh in in renouncing these things and moving towards simplicity, towards single-minded, a single-hearted, wholehearted life toward God, um, that it's actually a, a promise of an abundant life that Jesus is calling us to. Mm-hmm. But it just, it looks uh, really foolish mm-hmm. to the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's, I mean, it goes back to beauty in all things. Like, mm-hmm. we're not just pragmatically utilitarian, utilitarian, Space, like you know how we shape space, right? It's mm-hmm. not just like, well, it's a meeting place, so let's just have chairs, right? We want to mm-hmm. deck. We want we want the abundance of life. Mm-hmm. Um, celebration's a key in the Christian life, and so it's not that we're killjoys, mm-hmm. but that Jesus, is, Jesus and God, is after after our, our ultimate joy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Gary, final thought. Nope. I think if we we could talk about this all day, and so maybe we should save something for the next couple of weeks. (laughs) That Um, works. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Uh, It's been a fun conversation, and uh, yeah, we'll do it again next week on Tradition. See ya. See ya.